what we should never say, one of my pet peeves is when we say we're teaching the same class we did last semester or last year. Well, you never teach the same class <laughs> twice because the people in the room are always different and who they are matters for what kind of learning can occur if we create an environment where they want to bring who they are forward and feel safe and comfortable in doing so to enhance the learning that happens, to bring perspectives that others, including the faculty member, might not have. It's an opportunity to enhance the learning. That's what inclusive excellence is about, right? Welcome to Student Affairs Now, the online learning community for student affairs educators. I am the host of today's episode, Heather Shea. Today on the podcast, I am so excited to talk with Dr. Amer Ahmed and Reverend Dr. Jamie Washington about practical and interactive ways to train faculty on diversity, equity, and inclusion concepts and practices. Often faculty are among the hardest to reach in DEI training, and our panelists today have figured out a couple of ways to bring this uh, topic to you all and to make training for faculty and staff more engaging and interactive. I was able to attend a session at the National Conference on Race and Ethnicity, or NCORE, in early June, and I knew I had to find a way to extend this conversation to an episode on the podcast. So I'm so grateful to Amer and Jamie for being here today. Before I bring in our guests, let me tell you a little bit about our channel. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We hope you'll find these conversations make a contribution to the field and are restorative to the profession. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays, and you can find us at studentaffairsnow.com on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by Equip Inclusive. Equip is an affordable, scalable, and customizable hybrid learning program for education professionals on how to engage diversity on campus. Stay tuned to the end of the podcast for more information about this episode's sponsor. As I mentioned, I am the host of today's episode, Heather Shea. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I am broadcasting from the ancestral, traditional, and contemporary lands of the Anishinaabe, Three Fires Confederacy of Ojibwe, Adawa, and Potawatomi peoples, otherwise known as East Lansing, Michigan, home of Michigan State University, where I work. As I mentioned, I'm thrilled to bring this podcast uh, to you all, a session I was able to participate in at NCORE, and I'm so excited to welcome you both here today. So uh, thank you for joining me. Um, please give us a bit about your background and how you're coming into the conversation today. And uh, Amer, I think we'll start with you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, my name is Amer Ahmed, and I use he, him pronouns. Uh, in English, and uh, I currently serve as Vice Provost for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion uh, at University of Vermont, which is the Senior Diversity Officer role uh, at this university. Um, in the past, I've been a uh, full-time consultant in on DEI work in higher ed and beyond. I've worked in a Center for Teaching and Learning at UMass Amherst. Uh, I've worked at University of Michigan. Uh, so I've done my rounds in, in, in the field and uh, over the last 20 years. Uh, and I'm excited to engage this important topic. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Jamie, welcome. Good morning. It is our work. Whatever time you're all listening to this, uh, <laughs> it's morning for us. And I am excited to 
be here, um, not only because of the topic, but because of the people that I get to just be in community with, my brother Amir and sister here, um, Heather, um, Jamie Washington. My pronouns are he, him, and his. And I'm joining you from the original and ancestral homelands of the Piscataway Kanoi tribal nations here in the Baltimore, Washington area. Um, I come to this work um, uh, and, and to this conversation today spending the last 21 years, 22 years, um, as a full-time consultant with the Washington Consulting Group, doing exactly what we're talking about today, helping campuses live into the stated value of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Uh, as was named already in the introduction that some of the, the, the challenging work is around scalability and getting um, uh, creating the spaces where faculty um, see this as an essential part of their roles and the work that they do. Uh, we certainly talk about this um, with lots of our staff and uh, invite and encourage staff to be in and participate in this. And so I think that this conversation today is one that's important, particularly given our current context. Absolutely. Yeah, so let's let's start with that current context because this is, you know, this might be a very basic question, but I think given the climate, you know, that we're seeing across some states that are attacking the work of DEI, um, I think I, we have to start with the basic question. So, Amer, maybe you can say why is DEI training essential for faculty on college and all college and university campuses, mm -hmm. um, and how does this having this kind of training positively impact the college environment and, and ultimately affect students? Yeah, well, equitable access to a quality education um, is, is, is critical because, you know, everybody's trajectory into higher education or any educational setting is unique and interesting. That's part of what makes any learning environment diverse in some way, shape, or form. Uh, and then inclusion really helps us harness uh, the the innovative benefits uh, that comes from uh, people bringing their experiences, their identities, their backgrounds uh, to make us better. I mean, that's the basis mm -hmm. of inclusive excellence. Um, and I think the environment that we're in right now is really um, undermining that we see in a lot of states, um, our ability to be able to, to take advantage of that opportunity that comes uh, with uh, harnessing all of those benefits and, and, and attaining a greater level of educational excellence. And so sometimes it's framed as, um, you know, academic freedom versus DEI in some way, shape or form. But the reality is that the contestation of DEI is a threat to academic freedom uh, in of itself. And once we tell people what they can and can't study and learn about, um, now you've, you're undermining academic freedom in and of itself. And that's what we're seeing the result of. And here at University of Vermont, the ancestral land of the Abenaki people, um, we're seeing people fleeing other states uh, to come to Vermont because they recognize that they'll be able to do their research and do their work and, and engage in the, the inquiry that uh, they have built their careers around uh, in higher education. And so it, it's, it's unfortunate uh, but we have to really advance that message that the threat to, to DEI is a threat to academic freedom in of itself. Yeah. Jamie, what, what would you I'll, add? Yeah, yeah, I would jump in here. So one of the things that really feels important for me in this conversation is that 
we not uh, elude that this is a value-based discussion. Mm, of course. And um, that there is a tension that we live with that is about shoving, if you would, liberal leftist values down the throats of our faculty, staff, and students. And I've been saying more directly, um, if all of us mattering feels leftist, so be it, right? Um, that um, if, if, if we're going to politicize the value of all of us mattering, all of us deserving to show up um, and be able to contribute to our full potential, all of us being able to engage effectively with each other, all of us belonging. If that feels like a leftist value, that is the stated value of most of our colleges and universities. Um, now, we get to talk about how we um, come to understanding that differently, and but, but the basis is that uh, um, uh, as as uh, my brother Amir has already named the, the notion that um, uh, quality education, quality uh, access to education uh, is a value um, statement um, for all of us. And so if you don't agree with all of us deserving that, then none of this is going to matter to you anyway. I don't care what kind of programs we put in place. I don't care how much, if you don't agree that we should all have the right and the access to um, uh, learning and to be able to do our best, then this, there's gonna be a disconnect or a bump for you. So I start there and I feel like that's, that's the critical place that we need to enter. And then we go from there to looking at um, what's the role of higher education? And what's the, um, again, what's the business case? What does higher education exist to do? And what I say in every space that I go is, Part of our, our, our primary role is to turn out the next generation of leaders. Mm. And we cannot turn out the next generation of leaders if they have not built the capacity to engage effectively within, about, and across difference. Mm. Uh, and you can't teach what you don't know. <laughs> so I, therefore, we need to prepare the people who are doing the preparation so that they can be most effective in the work. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like um the the moment at the end course session that was the most cathartic was when we all sat and together kind of named those barriers, right? The barriers to build to bringing that across the entire campus. So, Jamie, can you talk a little bit about like as you're going to campuses, like what are some of the things? What are the named barriers to building capacity? among faculty for a DEI or a more inclusive perspective? Well, and I appreciate you naming um, uh, building capacity. capacity. Mm. Because one of the, again, the tensions, and I talk a lot about the tensions in the work, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, it's the not the either or, not a dualistic way of making sense of it. This is some of the tension, right, uh, in the work. And um, so, so one of the barriers is what, folks think it is, huh. <laughs> right? Um, and uh, 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 so getting clear around not only what DEIB and A and J, justice and um, accessibility, what uh, all that means, but what it is, right? And the why under it. Again, I go back to, and I think we've talked about, you know, it's like, well, 
you, just increasing awareness, increasing awareness. Well, that's that's a piece uh, of of the work. You've got to have some awareness. But again, the the barrier, the first barrier is often folks don't understand what it is. Second barriers are how do we um, do this in a way, given all the demands that we have, so mm -hmm. time, right? Um, and how do we do it in a way that we don't, again, continue over and over again to have the same people, have to navigate um, uh, harm um, in, in, in the space of learning. Um, and so how do we make sure that there's some foundational engagement that folks know and opportunities to do some uh, work on their own, um, to come to the space with a level of uh, understanding about mm -hmm. the dynamics that might show up. Uh, again, we get into funding in order to do that, mm -hmm. right? And how do we create the funding to um, have the resources, to, um, to have folks learn those things and, and the time, Again, mm -hmm. the other piece is the time um, uh, to to make all of those kinds of things happen. So those are some of the some of the some of the barriers, the the ways that we do this. From you know, again, for me is so. How does this matter mm -hmm. in the work that I'm doing? Right. So one of the things that I have begun to do, and I will, I have, I'll speak to nearly thirty thousand people over the next week, mm -hmm. as I welcome new students to campus. And one of the things that has felt really important is that they get why this matters in terms of what they're going to do from here. And so when we're talking to faculty, we wanna be able to talk about why does, right, the skills and the capacity to engage effectively with the diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging lens matter for the work you're attempting to do in the classroom, right? Um, and I talk with students about first year students. I, I got them raising their hands saying, so what do you want to do? You want to, uh, I want to be a psychologist or I want to be an engineer or I want to be this. I want to do that. And I, and I just give them a few moments and say, now talk about why having skills and capacity to engage about difference will matter as you do that job, as you do live into that purpose so that they begin to see this what we're doing here in higher education is preparing them <laughs> so that they can be more effective in that work. And so um, some of the barriers is understanding and making the connection to how this matters for the work that they're going to do. Yeah, and I think I think one of the challenges, I mean, there's the, there's the named like, this is performative or I just need to check the box, right? Like our campus has a, has like a three hour RVS relationship violence and sexual misconduct training that we all have to do every year. Similarly, they've created a, you know, a diversity training module where we go into this computer based thing and, and it does feel very performative, right? Like, okay, I did my three hours for the year. Um, so, you know, I think the time and the, like the active engagement and then like who's coming to this group, um, you know, to be a part of the conversation. And I think there's also an interesting piece, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this um, too, Amir, like when you have faculty who are resistors, right? Who are saying, well, you can't tell me what to do in my classroom, you know, or claiming like this is impeding upon academic freedom. 
And I put that in quotes partially because like, I think our, we largely misunderstand what that concept actually is. Like, how do you address that within your role at Vermont? Um, and, and do those barriers that Jamie also mentioned kind of resonate too? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think the, the thing that a lot of folks don't always think through is that inclusive teaching isn't necessarily about telling you what to teach in terms of mm. the content, right? <laughs> and I think, you know, uh, I, and I think one thing we struggle with in higher education is centering learning, <laughs> which is kind of like surreal when you really think about it. But if you think about the way most of us are trained in the academy, it's to be content experts and researchers, mm -hmm. right? Most faculty aren't taught how to teach. And when you're not taught how to teach, you teach the way that you were taught. And so what's happened is that there's an inheritance that comes from that, that, that is rooted in Eurocentric patriarchal heteronormative norms and et cetera, mm -hmm. that just gets reified in mm -hmm. how we approach teaching and learning in the classroom, right? And in that, as Paulo Freire talks about the banking and depositing approach to teaching and learning in which the, the student is a passive, you know, um, receiver of the deposit mm -hmm. um, and which is rooted in the content from the faculty as opposed to inclusive pedagogy being about learning and how do we wanna go about learning with this group of people. What we should never say, one of my pet peeves is when we say we're teaching the same class we did last semester or last year. We, you never teach the same class <laughs> twice because the people in the room are always different and who they are matters for what kind of learning can occur if we create an environment where they want to bring who they are forward and feel safe and comfortable in doing so to enhance the learning that happens, to bring perspectives that others, including the faculty member, might not have. It's an opportunity to enhance the learning. That's what inclusive excellence is about, right? In which the content is complementary and supportive of that process and in that environment in which you've created. Because you can know everything about every kind of identity, supposedly. Well, first of all, nobody really can, but you can think <laughs> that you do. But actually, if that's not tied to skills and competencies right. uh, and how to bring uh, folks into a process of learning, actually, you're more likely to tokenize the Black mm. student in the classroom uh, when you're hypersensitized and really want to bring a Black perspective, right? Mm. And you don't have the pedagogical skills to create the environment where that student actually wants to bring who they are forward and feels like who they are and what they bring matters and is valuable, especially because most of our entire educational system has told our young people that who they are does not matter mm -hmm. in the process. Mm -hmm. And actually students, when you actually enact these uh, principles and approaches, they, especially the most marginalized students will resist because part of how they got here was following the program. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute, the deal, everybody told me that the deal is that I just do whatever you tell me to do. And now you're telling me who I am matters in this process? Just give me the answer, right? And so when, when as faculty, when we reinforce that, we're, we're not interrupting the pre-existing inheritance and dynamic, right? So the, the way we do that and get to a different level of excellence 
is when we commit ourselves to creating a more inclusive lear learning environment in our classrooms. I just want to jump in here and appreciate yeah. the, the centering of learning, right? Uh, again, I go back to what is it that we exist to do, right? Um, and if we are going to, in fact, um, do what um, higher education is supposed to do in terms of creating the learning environment so that we can turn out, right? Um, then how, in fact, are we centering, again, and understanding what um, Amir names beautifully is the way we've done it in the past is not enough. It's not necessarily wrong. We're not we're not here to make it all wrong, um, but we are here to invite that it's not the only right and hmm. it's not serving all of us for the next round. And so my favorite example right now is, you know, as you think about, so how do I ad adapt and adjust so that I can be effective? Uh, we've had three years of, well, we had to learn yep. some stuff the way we used to teach, the way we was doing it, not, not gonna work. And so yep. when whenever folks say to me, well, we can't make faculty do anything, I say, <laughs> The, or, or faculty, I was doing a whole session with faculty a few weeks ago um, at an institution and they said, well, faculty shouldn't be required to, to do this kind of work. I says, so what should faculty be required to do? Mm -hmm. And why should they be required to do it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. when we get clear about faculty cannot do their job if they don't build the skills and capacity to do this work well, then we get clear um, about another part of the why, right? So it's it's it goes back to this as you talk about Heather, this notion of being performative. Sure. Well, you know, learning Zoom was was is that was that performative, <laughs> right? Learning um, virtual uh, platforms was was that performative? Well, some of it. You, you, you've got to learn how to do some things, but you've got to recognize that the context that you did it in was not sufficient to meet the needs of the current day, right? And so that's- and that's, that's why we have to frame it as integral to good teaching. Good yes. teaching is inclusive teaching. Inclusive yes. teaching is good teaching. That's right. And so that's why at University of Vermont, we now have- that in the faculty contract for reappointment, tenure, and promotion criteria. Yeah. You know that it's part of their um, portfolio and packages that they have to submit um, as, a, as a factor for consideration, not the factor, not sure, the sure. consideration. It, it's a factor because, because we want our faculty to be good teachers and, and you really can't be a good teacher if you're, you're not committed to inclusion in the classroom. Mm -hmm. I, there's a couple of things that really um, strike me about, you know, the, the conversation of particularly around learning and teaching. And I think you just named maybe a solution is that when we think about the tenure promotion process, like this isn't an add on, it is included within, you know, if we're talking faculty research, teaching and service, like that teaching component has to have this embedded within it. It's not a, like, let's add another category that's, you know, DEI, which then feels like, oh, well, I got to put stuff on this list. The campus also has to offer things, right, that go on, the potentially go on that list. But like, what is it about the classroom environment that is going to affect 
the faculty members teaching, you know, score, if that's, if that matters, that's another question, right? Like how much does teaching matter compared to research, right? And are we, you know, in what ways are we affecting, you know, more um, inclusive teaching skills, right? Among, among faculty, because I think what you named earlier too, it really struck me is that, you know, we are relearning the same things we learned as faculty from people who were also not trained to be teachers. So <laughs> there's this continuing thing. So, uh, so I'm, let me go into that a little bit more. Cause I think our next question kind of deals with some of these very specific teaching and learning skills, um, that relate, right? So if we're trying to create practical interactive tools, for faculty to engage effectively in inclusive classroom pedagogy, you know, what, what are some of the things that we might kind of address? So syllabi, environmental norm, you know, environment norms. So Amir, do you want to kind of dig into that a little bit based on your work? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think, again, when we center learning, we start with what is it that we want students to learn? And I think many faculty, they start with what do I want them to read or <laughs> what content do I want to give them rather than starting from what is it that I want them to learn and developing those learning goals. And in the you know world for center for teaching and learning uh, centers, that's called backwards design. Right. Okay. And it, and it takes time, you know, it's, it's start to, to, because a lot of faculty already have the courses, you know, designed. So, you know, there's gotta be an investment and commitment in the institution uh, to um, give faculty the opportunity to work on, uh, first of all, learn how to backwards design a course, right? Starting with what is it that I want to learn? What is the learning that I want to enable? And how do we go about doing that? And how does the content support that, right? So it's the thinking about the process first before we think about the content, you know, so that that's a key component. Um, and then uh, thinking about uh, a student-centered teaching approach where who the students are matters, what, what their identities are, what they bring to the table. Uh, I think it's important for, uh, I thought it was interesting coming out of student affairs and co-curricular learning environments, going into the academic affairs and um, um, that um, many faculty don't create norms at the beginning of their courses around how are we gonna engage in a respectful way, because we know that there's going to be contentious topics when disagreements, that's, you know, by the nature of uh, uh, what we uh, engage, when we get, engage in inquiry, that's inevitable. There's going to be multiple perspectives, multiple ideas. How are we going to do that in a way that honors and respects who everybody is in this uh, learning process? Um, so learning those principles, and if you notice, Nothing that I'm talking about is about learning about every single kind of identity and uh -huh. inequity and social justice issue. That's helpful, but it's supplementary to these core principles and approaches and competencies and skills uh, and facilitation skills that really help faculty uh, create that holistic, inclusive learning environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amy, I mean, what I, would you I, add? I think that um, the the need for our uh, faculty to really kind of think about, so what is it, uh, as, as Amir talked about in terms of backwards design, what do we want students to learn, right? So again, not just what is it I wanna teach, but what do we want them to learn? Um, and so 
we once they leave this class, they will understand, know mm -hmm. more about, be able to these things, right? And then what are the best approaches given who's in front of me to deliver upon that, right? And so what impacts that, right? Again, we go to, so th their understanding of what it is they need to do, the, their deliverables, all of that's in the syllabus, how we're gonna do this in this environment, um, and how do we engage when stuff comes up, the skills to, to do that, um, that uh, requires that um, we pay attention to um, the, so, and I talk about it in this way, the, the four Ps, the purpose, why are we here, right? The people, who are we doing it for? The process and the product, right? Mm -hmm. So um, that what often happens is there's focus on the P, the product, here's product. what's supposed to happen, but not the rest of it. Why are we doing this? What's the, uh, and um, far too little attention given to the people and the process, which again, mm -hmm. connects particularly in, um, in the faculty role to pedagogy, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, which is a, um, Jamie, you, you mentioned a, a bit ago about how we, I, I'll use another P word, pivoted really, you know, effectively during the pandemic to a, this online environment. And as a faculty member teaching during that time where all the classes were online, you know, in-class discussions about difficult topics took on a completely, and the context was really different, right? So the, the process was really different. Students can turn their camera off or stay on mute, you know, you have a completely different kind of online teaching challenge. So can you, t can you talk a little bit about like, you know, what are the applicable teaching and learning pieces that might relate to inclusive pedagogy in a online environment? And, you know, this, I guess, kind of for both of you, but Jamie, you want to start with that? Yeah. So um, again, it goes back to um, agreements, right? Um, mm. From the beginning, right? So uh, recognizing, so what are the things that impact our engagement in this context, right? Uh, and unless we're simply creating a didactic experience where I'm talking and you're listening, right? So if we're creating an engaged learning environment where your perspective, your voices, your take um, on what you've read or um, our, our learning matters, then you've got to pay attention to some things <laughs> um, that in this space that impact that, right? Um, uh, who's in the room? Uh, 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 what what um, is there? Where where are they coming in from, right? And so there are some things that you know. So uh, you know, why is the camera on? Why is the camera not mm -hmm. on? Um, uh, uh, the, uh, can, do, does the camera go off at a certain time? Uh, what's the meaning that gets made in that moment and what's the impact of that and what we will agree to do and muting and you know, all of the things that uh, in fact impact the learning space um, and folks ability to learn and to engage in, in, and to be in that and what we and there's been some great work uh, around um, lots of that um, in over the last couple of years right. Um, mm -hmm we had an opportunity to see some of the impact and um and, and it wasn't easy um just to, to flip you know some 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 classes had had more practice with that and teachers had had more faculty had, had more practice with that but most folks did not um and so uh we we talk about what the impact was right of having environments 
that really were not engaged learning environments. Um, and Heather, I don't. I want. I. Yeah. I want to make sure we don't lose something. Is mm -hmm. the faculty member benefits from right. all the richness that comes out exactly. when students bring who they are forward, and and this, then the faculty member learns as a learner as well as an educator and teacher in that process, and 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 they gain perspectives that they might not have had because it's not necessarily in their experience, and that could. Uh, impact their research interests. At the very least, it makes the course and the uh, less rote for them. Mm. That's right. And, and and as you named Amir, there and that helps it to be. Uh, there's no way that you're teaching the same course twice, right? Yeah. Um, and that you go in with a different kind of intention and energy, and then the that class informs the next class and how you show up and what you know and perspectives that you bring, and that you're able to talk to from more than just having read an article, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You're able to speak to um, as you've deepened your own learning and experience um, and relationships across those dynamics. Yeah. So let's get into a bit about, you know, how do we do this? What are some, um, some activities or practices or interactive elements that will engage faculty? Because I mean, we're, we're talking about like, that's almost a meta conversation, right? Like, how do you teach faculty to do this using the same methods that we want them to potentially use in their classroom environments? It might be more hybrid, flipped, backward design, et cetera. Um, so Amir, talk a little bit about the philosophy, the, the framework, you know, what are we talking about when we mean interactive um, in a DEI kind of faculty training experience? Yeah, and you know, of course, we're not supposed to use training when they talk about faculty. Right. So we, we can talk about <laughs> faculty development. Um, yeah. And, uh, and uh, so, I mean, you know, one of the things that uh, I slash we have been doing is is using online content and okay. modules um, asynchronously um, on individually um, so that we can come into space together and have conversations in a way in which people who hold marginalized identities are not in the position of having to teach the people with the privileged identities, right? And because I think that's part of where the in-person dialogic co-learning experience oftentimes becomes challenging, right? Mm -hmm. So if we've all, if we're all coming into a space already having learned some principles, skills, competencies, content, right? When we come into uh, spaces of communities of practice, right? Where we can have conversations of how does this show up in our department, in our environment, in our context, in our campus? Um, and, uh, and then how do we translate that into good work, into good practices? Where do we find successes? Where do we find challenges? And being able to share that uh, the learning with one another and to be able to create a departmental, uh, divisional, school, college, best practice uh, culture. And the reality is that faculty listen to other faculty. Mm -hmm. And the more proximity they have to them in their uh, field, the more they're, uh, and view them as a peer, the more likely they're going to listen when they hear a faculty member saying, you know, so I tried this out, this went well, I had struggles mm -hmm. with this. You know, I tried that too, and it went this way, uh, or 
you know, I, I, I made this tweak and it, and it really made a big difference. You might want to think about that. So coupling content that alleviates the pressure on marginalized identities uh, and then having those conversations synchronously, um, preferably in person with one another to talk about how do we translate that into our practice? I love that. Yeah, and, and again, connected to that, Amir, is the, the notion that um, there isn't one right answer, sure. right? Um, uh, but the learning is in the engagement and the paying attention to the tools that um, that you that we're using in order to create the engagement, to show up in our responses, to hold the container right uh, for the learner and the learning to to occur, to to show up in a way that allows the classroom the 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 class the students to see you as learner as well so again this holding this both and i i can show up as a learner as well as one with some content area expertise that i'm here to deliver so i don't lose status if you will i don't i don't um give up uh, or abdicate my responsibility as a faculty member uh, because i show up as a learner as well right part of the skill that i show up in is this the show up in how to be a learner in these spaces mm-hmm. as well? I think what you're naming is like everyone benefits, right? I mean, everyone benefits from a learning environment, whether it's in a, a DEI, you know, development slash training experience or in the classroom that the faculty then is going to, you know, employ some of these skills, like as both the learner and the student you know, in each of those spaces, you know, and, and I think, you know, as somebody who counts learner as one of my five, you know, strengths in the strengths finder inventory, you know, like getting new knowledge, right. And then like aha moments of, oh, I could do this differently. And I, I love what you said too, about having folks talking to one another and sharing like, oh, well, this didn't work for me. And then how do we want to take this back to the to the faculty in our department who didn't get a chance to come to this training today. And then we get to be the, you know, maybe the the teachers in those spaces, like faculty meeting, here's what we, here's what we did in this, in this uh, DEI development session. Um, there's some real power, I think, in that. Well, and I think the other piece of that is good teaching with a DEIB lens impacts all teaching. Mm. <laughs> it's not just when DEIB stuff comes up. Yes, yes. Um, and, you know, sometimes I, I experience folks, well, that's not that's not my content, right? right. I'm, I'm not having to teach that. I'm like, is anybody in your class? Like, you know, so are you teaching people, right? Yeah. So <laughs> uh, no, no matter how you're teaching them, virtually, right. um, online, in person, um, if you're, you're engaging with other human beings, the pedagogy, the skills, the competencies, the capacity to do it with a diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging lens impacts all teaching, all subjects. Yes. Chemistry, I'm teaching physics, I'm teaching English, I'm teaching theology, all of it with a DEIB lens and pedagogy, pedagogical approach matters. It enhances. And I want to reinforce that everybody benefits from this. Just because you hold a marginalized identity doesn't mean you know how to teach inclusively. 
right? Everybody, we all have to work on this. No, we're not. Do I get to put up a react? Ready. Can I put up a reaction button? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Say that again for the people in the back, that right? Again for the people in the back, absolutely. <laughs> um, and and what we see in so many places, um, as Amir is naming, is some folks just you know that's another way that the again the old ways of doing has continued. So yes. well, okay, so I'm I'm the black. Uh, per, new person in the English department mm -hmm. um, or in chemistry. And, and so I should teach the one subject that's related, right? Mm -hmm. That has a, um, a race lens or a gendered lens or, or whatever. It's like, well, I haven't had any learning around that or any practice. Why is it that I need to be the one um, that's, that's teaching that? And so just because um, I often will say, just because you are, doesn't mean you understand. <laughs> so it doesn't mean you're the one that needs to be teaching it. Yes. Yes, 100%. And I think that that also relates to like associate dean for DEI roles, right? You, you know, are we are we elevating the one faculty member in the in the college, you know, who has or are we only elevating folks with those identities? So, I think there's a really key piece here. Um the other thing Jamie that really struck me that you said that I also want to like reiterate for the people in the back is that this is not just a social science college of education arts and humanities topic like this transcends disciplinary content and focus and that really does benefit um all students across the entire campus regardless of what the faculty members kind of content expertise is so right. I love it and the um the as as we add the the importance of this um as we talk about you know all of the strategic plans and all of the diversity value statements and all of those things that um it does require mm. an investment in a prioritization of this mattering so we are navigating well well, well we've only got 16 weeks okay sure. You know, we always, we got 16 weeks, we got 15 weeks, we got nine weeks, we got a quarter, however we're doing it. And so how do we um, factor in the creating of the container for learning, which we should be doing anyway, right? Um, and um, not just see that this is taking away from the content that we need um to be teaching in, in that amount of time. And I wanna to speak to that systemic operationalizing um, because you know, as a CDO, as a sitting CDO, um, who is about to release our university DEI strategy that's mm. comprised of every unit of our institution developing their own inclusive excellence plan for the next five years. The key to our process has been my the vice provost for faculty affairs, being deeply committed, making sure that they're gonna partner with us on delivering uh, some of these opportunities for our faculty, our provost leaning mm -hmm. in and making it part of the criteria of evaluation of our deans. Our deans, therefore, many of whom are already committed, but understand that it's part of how they're evaluated uh, around our academic success goals of the provost, right? And that translating into prioritizations within schools and colleges and therefore departments within those schools and colleges, you know? So, so, and therefore it's not me and my team's job to do it for everybody. It's, it's, it's 
our job to work with as a collaborator together uh, to be able to build this capacity with our faculty. Yeah, that that's another kind of just retweet moment of like, if if it is just one unit's job, it is, if it's just the CDO's job, like we are not institutionally embedding DI practices across. So like, yes, you cannot, like you and your team and no campus CDO should be tasked with that in, infusion across without the buy-in. I think that's really, really, really critical. Yeah, we experienced a lot of people asking us if it was okay to do this. Okay, I'm like, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. It's your unit. We're here to partner with you to help you do it and implement it into your party, the institution. We're here every step of the way to support you. But at the end of the day, y'all are going to have to be the ones that end that do it. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go to, to every single department <laughs> and make it happen. It's impossible. Yeah. You know, I am so grateful for this conversation today. It was exactly what I needed as we're getting ready to kick off a semester. Um, and as, as is typical, we're always kind of running a little bit short on time. I just want to end with, um, as you all know, our podcast is called Student Affairs Now. What are some of the, your kind of summarized thoughts about what you're pondering, questioning, troubling um, you now? And then what are some ways that folks can follow up with you if they'd like to extend the conversation, either social media or other ways to contact you? Um, Jamie, do you want to kick us, start us off? Sure. I, I think one of the things that I'm inviting as we move into this um, 23-24 academic year um, is there, there's a lot of, uh, we can't now because the Supreme Court said, mm. right? Um, and that there's a lot of tension around. And, um, and so um, what I want to just invite, particularly those of us who are on campuses who are charged with the work by title, Mm -hmm. um and are then also so that's <laughs> we get paid for the work at one level right um and then those of us who are charged with the work by identity right um uh what i want to just say what i'm pondering is breathe just mm -hmm. right um and um to take care of oneself um because uh you matter the work matters, um, but the work doesn't matter more than you. Um, so that 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 is what's um, center for me. I've um, uh, and you know I, the the other piece is that we have to get back to what's our mission as an institution, what's our values, and to be able to be clear about the value basedness of this work. Um, and, and, and so a, an institution, an organization that's not clear about its mission and its values is never going to be successful. So um, that's, that's where I would be putting our energy, tying all of what we're doing back to why do we exist, right? Um, so if, if we're clear about that, all of the government, Supreme Court, legislature, anybody in the world, it doesn't matter. We just stay mission and uh, value and vision driven. Yeah. I love yeah, that. Yeah, and I, I want to 
uh, go off of what Jamie said, because I worked at University of Michigan post Prop 2 for seven years. I was immediately after Proposition 2 was passed is when I started. Um, and it that principle and approach was so key to iterate and innovate within that context. And so now it, it was funny, I ran into a colleague from University of Michigan uh, who I knew from back then uh, recently. And she was like, y'all are just joining us. What we've been dealing with for a long time in California, and we've only had a few states to, to innovate with on this. And so now it's all of us. Now, I, I don't want to erase the fact that there are specific challenges in specific states. Mm -hmm. um, but, but the reality is that we're going to have to figure this all out together, mm -hmm. right? But, but defeatism isn't going to get us anywhere. It's just not. And I know that that doesn't mean, and that's why the breathing is important because it's hard, mm -hmm. but we're going to, you know, but as we prepare ourselves, once we breathe, mm -hmm. let's get together and let's figure this out together. Absolutely. Well, I am so grateful for your time today. We're going to put um, links, information, contact information in show notes for folks. Um, thank you so much for your contributions and for just, as I said, the like great conversation at the beginning of the semester for, for all of us. Um, also descending quick heartfelt appreciation to our producer, Nat Ambrosi. Thank you for making us look and sound great. Um, thanks also to the sponsor of today's episode, Equip offers an affordable, scalable, and customizable hybrid learning training platform for staff and faculty in higher ed. It moves individuals and institutions beyond compliance and lays the foundation toward systemic change. Equip it consists of three parts. One, core modules and frameworks around navigating diversity. Two, identities and their historical context. And three, inclusive pedagogy for faculty. Equip is built around competencies that are developmental and adaptive across a wide array of context, identities, and circumstances. Take a moment to visit our website and click on the sponsors link to learn more about Equip. And while you're there, if you are listening today and not already receiving our weekly newsletter, please visit our website, studentaffairsnow.com, and you'll be prompted to enter your email address to join our email list. Again, I'm Heather Shea. Thanks again to all of our listeners and viewers. Make it a great week, everyone.